right, and we are back for another edition of Exploring Faith and Pursuing Grace. I am Lee Grant. This is Kevin Pendergrass. And joining us tonight is a special guest that we're excited to have on the program. We're discussing a topic that I have wanted to discuss since nearly the inception of this podcast almost two years ago. Kevin, can you believe that in May we will have been doing this for two years? No, that's hard to believe, man. It feels like we've been doing it for 10 years (laughs) (laughs) it definitely feels longer than two brother that's for sure but but yeah from the very beginning of the podcast you you and i when we have been brainstorming and talking about the various topics that we were going to discuss one of the things i wanted to discuss because it seems especially pertinent pertinent to the audience that that tends to listen to our program is that of religious trauma because for a lot of people their upbringing especially those that have been raised in more of a hardcore fundamentalist conservative and i and i kind of bristle a little bit just using that term conservative but a lot of people that grow up the way that you grew up the way i grew up or maybe even way further right than either you or i grew up a lot of folks that is it's problematic for them a lot of people were raised in a traumatic environment in a toxic religious environment that has caused real damage to their to their mental health to their psyche And that's true of a lot of people that have been members of the Pentecostal church and the churches of Christ that I have spoken with. And it's always seemed like the kind of topic that would be incredibly beneficial to our listeners and to our audience, but it's been hard finding somebody with the qualifications that can speak to that. Because while I have dealt with some of that in a limited degree, and while you have too as well, it's not something that you or I can really speak to with any semblance of authority. We can talk about what we've experienced and that's what we've done on this podcast, but you and I have both really wanted an expert voice to join us to discuss how a person can move past that trauma and how they can cope with that trauma and come out of it ahead. And to that end, we are joined tonight by Crystal Ships. Crystal, thank you so much for being on our program this evening. You are so welcome. I'm very honored to be here um, to talk about this really important topic, I think. Yes, and it is a very important topic because there are, for, for all of the good that religion and faith has done for countless people throughout history, it's also done a tremendous amount of damage. And if we choose to stick our heads in the sand and ignore that, if we choose to ignore the fact that religion has been a big problem for a lot of people. And it's been Mm -hmm. a source of pain. It's been a source of consternation. It's been a source of damage and trauma that can last generations sometimes. Yeah. If if, if we ignore that, then we're not being fair with the ugly side that can come from religion. So Crystal, as as we start Mm -hmm. this off, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself, um, just what your qualifications are, what you do for a living? Because this is something that you, you kind of specialize in as I understand it. Sure. Um, yeah, I'd absolutely love to. I'm Crystal Ships. I'm 44 years old. I'm a wife. I'm an adoptive mom of two and a stepmom of three. Um, my kids range in age from 17 to 24. Um, I'm married to my second husband. We live in rural Missouri, just south of Kansas City. Uh, go Chiefs. Um, I <laughs> just got to put that in there. Um, homes. Yeah, I was, uh, <laughs> I was born and raised in the Churches of Christ. Um, I graduated from Harding University in 2000, and my first husband was a Church of Christ minister. I was married to him for six years. Um, my qualifications, I went back to school to get my master's in counseling when I was 37. So I was kind of a second career therapist, did a lot of other 
jobs in the social services field, I managed an ophthalmology practice for a while. Um, when I was almost 40, though, I received my master's in counseling. I've been a therapist for about four and a half years. Um, I'm a licensed professional counselor in Kansas and Missouri. I provide counseling for individuals 14 and up and also couples. And I also provide online life coaching and date coaching. I'm also a dating coach anywhere in the world. Um, so I mean, at the end, I can tell you about my, how to find me and all that. But, um, as far as my personal experience with religious trauma, it's really just been recently that I've recognized that it was traumatic. Yeah. If that makes yeah. sense. It does. Um, I just felt like it was just normal. This was just how life was. It was the right way to be. I didn't realize that really the myriad of mental and emotional issues I faced were the result, direct result of my conservative religious upbringing and realizing that has been the most disorienting and truly heartbreaking realization of my entire life. Yeah. Um, as far as my personal mental health issues, I've struggled with anxiety since I was 13. I have a parent with bipolar disorder and I was raised in a very country rural church of Christ. I mean, we're talking like 30 on a good day. Um, yeah. honestly, I feel like I was raised with the purity culture, um, taught to fear everything. Um, I was a very anxious child anyway, uh, but making mistakes, sinning, going to hell, um, probably also have a, a genetic predisposition. I have mental health issues on both sides of my family, um, that run rampant, but since I was a good Christian girl and my family being in turmoil, I couldn't use the other outlets that all the other girls did or kids did when their families were in turmoil. So, you know, drinking, smoking, drugs, sex, all that was off the table. Yeah. Um, so essentially I um, developed an anxiety disorder um, younger when I was younger uh, called trichotillomania. So I actually started pulling my hair out Oh wow! when I was younger. Um, I had that for about 15 years. Um, and mm. I still take medication for anxiety and I still see a therapist on a regular basis. Um, also I learned to use food as an unhealthy coping tool, uh, for there. most of my, <laughs> most of my adult <laughs> life. Um, and honestly, that's something that I still struggle with to this day. Um, it's more socially sanctioned to overeat than to be a drunk or yeah. strung out or, you know, uh, so I think I justified it to myself that way. Mm -hmm. Um, a couple of years ago, I was at my highest weight, 350 pounds, managed to lose about half of that in nice. about a year or so, wow. but I am still to this day struggling to find a healthy relationship with food. And I also feel like some of that was guilt that I was taught in church about being attractive for my husband mm. or else he was going to go find someone else. Yeah. So body image issues, anxiety, um, we've got it all. The whole gamut you've got, you can check every box <laughs> yeah, on and, the and, list. And, and the other side of that, especially growing up in the purity culture we did in the churches of Christ, especially, you don't want to look too, too good though, because then you oh, would no. be the, the reason that you're causing a bunch of men to lust while they're serving the Lord's supper. That's right. That's right. I mean, no shoulders, no, you know, you know, gotta, gotta be covered up. Modest is hottest, right? Um, oh, yeah. so, uh, <laughs> And other, and other, uh, and other BS. So anyway, that's, uh, that's a little bit about me. Um, well, so probably so many people can relate to the things that you just brought up, you know, and that's, that's our podcast, I think has attracted a lot of people who have experienced 
at least some of the same things. I know each person has their own experience and their unique um, upbringing and perspective of things, but you know, so many, still, I would say a lot of our audience grew up in the very conservative element of the churches of Christ. Lee actually came from the one cup churches of Christ. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so they were like the real radical ones. Cause at least us in the mainstream, you know, we weren't that far. Right. Right. <laughs> but, right those weirdos yeah, over there. Right. Yeah. It's like, man, drinking out of one cup, you know, but that, <laughs> you know, that it's that, that legalism of obedience of, of trying to do, the right thing. And when you were talking, I couldn't help but think of just kind of the hell and the fear factor and the guilt and the shame and the control and how all of those things just fed into one another. And, you know, I want to, I want to ask you how, how effectively do you think churches deal with mental health issues and any kind of trauma, you know, before we jump into like trauma mm-hmm. from going to church, sure. you know, you talked about as, as when you were 13, going back to when you were 13 years old. And, and I've, I know I've talked to people, Lee's, Lee's talked to people who have mental health issues from a young age and in the church either don't, it seems like you don't talk about it mm-hmm. um, or you don't, you definitely don't seek outside help. Uh, sure. I remember being told to go see a counselor was now things have changed i know in some churches but going to see a counselor was was not only frowned upon in some circles it was considered wrong because you have other christians you can talk to that's what the church and the elders are for and you just need to pray more you need to read your right. bible a little bit more and that that yeah. should take care of it if not then you're the one that has the real issue because you don't have enough faith absolutely um i feel like you know when you talk about how effectively do churches deal with these things? I think the gamut goes from poorly to disastrously, (laughs) truthfully. I mean, like, I don't know. I I mean, I I have pretty, I've got my hand in a lot of different areas of, of um, society right now. I just don't know anyone that's doing it real well. Um, Because really, honestly, most of the time you have someone trained as a pastor in a seminary Mm -hmm. attempting to take on mental health issues that they have no business taking on. Yeah. Um, especially in abuse, neglect cases. Um, I've heard it said tongue in cheek, probably not really that if they're not cheating you or beating you, you got to stay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, Um, and that's essentially what the churches of Christ and other fundamentalist Christian groups and denominations teach is that even if you're being beat, you can't leave. I I was going to say cheating for, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. Right. Right. Anyway, so sorry. No, you're fine. No one ever talks about, though, the fact that the marriage vows include love, honor, and cherish, and those are broken when emotional abuse occurs. Yeah. Like, like, like if you want to talk about broken vows, I say I'm going to treat you a certain way. I treat you a different way. I've broken a vow. So, you know, um, I am also personally completely over churches treating gender dysphoria, homosexuality, and transgender issues as sins. Yeah. Um, The absolute destruction of a person's mental health under the guise of Christian love is the very worst kind of betrayal and hypocrisy, in my opinion. Well, um, I, yeah, we are in full agreement there. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> keep going. Uh, you're fine. No, um, I've just witnessed this firsthand with clients hundreds of times. The treatment and exclusion of the LGBTQ plus community coupled with white Christian nationalism that I've seen grow over the last mm-hmm. six years were the straws that broke the camel's back for me personally when it came to leading the church. entirely you can't pray gay away you can't pray anxiety away you can't pray depression ptsd ocd sexual trauma you can't pray those away uh you can also have jesus and a therapist yeah you can have both and 
you know, I really appreciate that you mentioned anxiety and depression and how those are things that you can't pray away because those are things that I have personally experienced. Those are things that I have personally dealt with. And it's, it, it took until just a couple of years ago for me, I'm 37, I'll be 38 this year. And it was only maybe within the last three or four years that I was able to come to terms with the fact that I have experienced anxiety since I was a kid too. I mean, Mm -hmm. I had digestive issues, extreme digestive distress that would manifest Mm -hmm. itself as a side effect or rather as a, I guess, a direct effect of that anxiety and not really realizing that that was the case. And for me, that stigma of not being able or willing to admit that that Mm -hmm. was an issue because just like Kevin, just like you said, just a little while ago, if you're anxious about something. Well, you're not doing what the Bible says. Just read the Matthew Bible says, six. Yeah. Right. Be anxious, be anxious about nothing. nothing. Yeah. <laughs> that's what's right. wrong with you? Yeah, yeah. I know what's wrong with me. You know, and, and here I am, it's like, Oh, well, Holy smokes. Well, what's wrong with me here? I am this, you know, this ball of tension, this ball of rage, because in a lot of men, that's mm-hmm. how anxiety will manifest in, in anger. That's how it would manifest yeah. with me. And, and now here I am being angry and sin not, well, then how does that work? And you have all of this cognitive <laughs> dissonance that exists from what you hear in church versus mm-hmm. your own experience and what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a, you have had trauma and have dealt with mental health issues just across the board. So in sure. dealing with that as a patient, but also dealing with that as a therapist, churches tend to not do well with those things at all in helping their people cope. Um, in what ways in your experience, both personally and professionally, how does religious trauma, how, how is it similar to other forms of trauma? Like how do, how does it tend to dovetail with other things? Because there's, there's typically a common thread in a lot of different things, but there are nuances that can, that can form terms of delineation amongst other things. So how, how do those things relate to each other? Well, first, I mean, the definition of trauma, I mean, Webster's definition is a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. I like to say that trauma is anything that our nervous system cannot process. Okay. So all emotional trauma hurts, whether it's coming from religion, from your family, from a bad relationship, divorce, your kids just being little loud mouths, whatever it's disorienting. It makes you question if what you think is real is really real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that's how they're, they're alike. Now going into like, how is it different than other types? It's all those things that I just described, but it's also like having your entire worldview ripped into. Yeah. How so, so for me, for me, when I realized the way that I was raised was fundamentally destructive and contributed to almost every emotional struggle that I had, it was like, the one thing that you told were, was going to love you forever didn't. It isn't going to. I use this analogy sometimes. I say it's like waking up every morning of your life and drinking a glass of juice that you were told by people you trusted and loved was full of vitamins and minerals. And if you drink the juice every day, you would live forever. And then one day you realize the juice isn't real and it's actually poisoning you. Mm. And the rest of your family is still drinking and selling the juice. Mm, And then you also have to live with the guilt of selling the juice yourself for 30 years and hurting other people in the process. Yep. Right. So, um, to me, religious trauma hits so deep because it hits to the core 
of, of who we are as a person. If we are, if we are raised in a church where we're taught, this world isn't your home, nothing around you is real. There's a better, there's, there's more, there's better later, you know, just don't worry about what's going on out here. And then one day you realize I probably, I probably need to worry about what's going on out here. Right. Uh, these things I'm feeling, I need to feel, um, I, I just feel like it hits. So it's just so, um, it seems woven deeper. in. Yes. Yeah. Well, it, it's it's almost as though we can't, you know, extract. It, it's really hard to separate yourself. It, it can be easy to compartmentalize your your life into different compartments. You know, yes. for me, I'm a chiropractor. I'm a business owner. I'm also a father. I'm also a husband. I'm a jujitsu coach and I'm a jujitsu practitioner. I have mm-hmm. a whole lot of different, many, many different hats that I wear. Mm-hmm. And within each of those roles, I'm genuine. The real me comes out, but it's a different slice of who I am. You know, yeah. my wife is going to see a side of me that my kids aren't, aren't going to see. My kids are going to see a side of me that my patients won't see. My patients are, my jujitsu students are going to see a side of me that my patients aren't going to see. Right. And none of that is disingenuous. All of that is fine. But within religion, within within your faith, that becomes a core identity that that can become your core identity of who you are. Who are you? Well, I am a song leader. I'm this person that does congregational teaching. I'm this person Mm -hmm. that preaches or that goes to this congregation over there, you know, twice Mm -hmm. a month and preaches for them. I'm the person that espouses this particular set of doctrines and this particular set of of rules to follow and things to avoid. And if you don't follow that list, you do so to your own eternal peril. And then whenever you begin to examine those things, you begin to look at those things on a deeper level. And you realize that this juice that I've been selling is counterfeit. This is not (laughs) a true representation of what Jesus was about. This is not a true representation of what faith should be. Like you said, dealing with that guilt can be really, really problematic, but it's, but just like you said, it's so woven into the core of who you are that teasing that out and separating that can be incredibly difficult. It's really hard. It's, you have your, not only your identity in there, but also you have that community and within that community, you, you start to have group think and you start to say, okay, well, if everyone else believes this, it must be right. And then when you tack on Uh, burning in a place called hell forever. And, you know, I grew up with a whole, I mean, fear dominated my belief. And when my sister died, which I've discussed this at at large in other episodes, but when she died, I was 13 years old. And most kids, especially that young, do not think about death often. They think they're going to live forever. Seeing my sister die uh, and going through that experience is like, okay, wow, like I could die at any time. So whenever the song, oh, why not tonight? Or, you know, are you ready for the judgment? I'm like, crap, I don't know. You know, like, what if I'm doing something wrong? And it terrified me. And in lar- I, I really look to that and in large part believe that that's where really my whole identity began is I want to be this super Christian and mm-hmm. I'm going to do everything right. And so I had this belief that I had to get everything right. And so therefore I did have everything right because to question meant that I was questioning my own salvation. (laughs) And so there was all just that fear there. And then, like I said, you put that community 
and mm-hmm. that accountability that in large part you didn't even ask for because I think true accountability you you can't demand or coerce someone into accountability it's got to be something that's voluntary that somebody wants to have true accountability in any aspect of your life but especially when you talk about something this important when you're talking about as you pointed out a world view this is how you view everything this mm-hmm. affects every little thing that you do from the second you wake up to the second you go to bed and even when you're sleeping what's going on I mean this is this is everything and when yeah. when you t- when you just I, I think it to, a lot too because you know Lee and I talk about just our own questions we mm-hmm. we have so many questions about things as Christians and especially going through what we've gone through and looking at how people have utilized religion specifically Christianity and the damage it has historically caused not just currently you know you're you're talking about uh, people who are gay um, you know you're talking about people who Right now, the damage that 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 the church has done, when you look at the suicidal rates and those types of things, but even even go all the way back, I mean, you know, just let's say thousand years or twelve hundred years, you see the Christian Crusades, you see the Inquisition, um, you know, you see you see um, the the Puritans, the Salem witch trials, you see the slavery and racism. And while there were Christians typically on both sides of those issues, usually the majority of Christians were on the side today that we would condemn. And yet they were doing that under the guise of Christianity, and this is my belief, and this is religion, and this is that important to me. And even in the Inquisition, I was going to bring this up because you talk about how you are focused so much on the spiritual at times and how we do that uh, overall as the church that we forget there's things going on right here and right now. And even in the Inquisition, you ask, or I asked, how in the world can someone torture someone to the point of them believing something, thinking that that is is right? And the belief (laughs) is, well, that's just their body. That's not their soul. We can torture their body in hopes to save their soul. And, you know, of course, they would appeal to the passage in Jude, you know, hate the garment that even defiles their flesh and save them with fire. And, and, Mm -hmm. And you just start seeing how people have manipulated and utilized scripture, not just for their own purpose, because a lot of these people I'm sure didn't like this, but they thought it's what they were supposed to be doing. And so Mm -hmm. what religion can cause and what it has caused and what it is causing, it it can be horrible. Uh, It can can really be horrible. You know, we Christians want to pick on Islam and all these other, it's like, look, look at your own book, (laughs) look Mm -hmm. at your own history. (laughs) Oh, I know. I I laughed when you said that because my husband's a history teacher and he's, and before I was telling him I was going to do this, he said, you know, Christianity has been hurting people for a long time. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, just same kind of thing that you were talking about there. Well, and, and I, I want to read a quote. Oh, and sorry, it, ahead, I don't brother. No, 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 Lee, you're good. Keep going. Cause I just want to read a quote that I think will tie into this. I just have to find it real quick. Okay. Now I was just going to say the idea that Christianity has been hurting people for a long time is something that a lot of Christians will, will balk at. They'll balk at that idea. Mm-hmm. And it's because how can, how can a system that I have essentially been born into mm-hmm. because I was born at a particular place at a particular time to a particular set of people that held to a particular set of ideologies. And how can I say that this entire system that I have grown up in and that I have been a part of and that I have been perpetuating, how can I say that that is harmful or even potentially harmful if I want to soften Mm -hmm. it even more? Mm -hmm. And I, I think a lot of Christians get this idea in their minds that, you know, Christianity is absolutely perfect 
in, in terms of a faith system and to the detriment of, of Islam or Buddhism or Taoism or, or whatever else, whatever other philosophy you want to, you want to throw mm-hmm. out there, mm-hmm. because how can I say that? Because if the system itself that I ascribe to is guilty of causing harm and causing trauma and toxic thought patterns, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Does that mean I'm guilty by association? God forbid, there's no way I can be guilty of anything like that because I love Jesus and anybody that I persecute, I do so in Jesus name. Amen. Right. And but, but, oh no, then it's not persecution. Now I'm speaking the truth. But if someone speaks out against me and what I believe or whatever, well, now I'm being persecuted. So, well, you, you can't really have it both ways. Yeah, anyway, yeah, Kevin, right. did you, did you on that quote you wanted? Yeah, I did. Going back to the idea of being safe in our conclusions and always erring on the safe side. And of course, the safe side was whatever the person in charge or who is in authority wanted you to believe that was of course always, you know, it's convenient. That was the safe side. Right. And uh, <laughs> typically growing up, the safe side was always the most conservative side. Of course, when it came to the one cup, we didn't have any problems, not, not being safe because we didn't uh, partake of the one you cup. Even. Well, in you fact, your you know, own rules. You know, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of those things where, well, just to be on the safe side, well, there's a lot of things we weren't being on the safe side with, but this goes back to that fear. And I just wanted to read this quote from Bishop John Henry Hopkins. He lived uh, from 1972 to 1868, and he wrote quite a bit on the issue of slavery. And he struggled a lot, and he talked about his own faults, his feelings towards slavery versus his own convictions on what he was taught the Bible says regarding slavery and how he had been told to interact with the text of Scripture. And he actually says this. He says, uh, if, if it were a matter to be determined by personal sympathies, taste, or feelings, I should be as ready as any person to condemn the institution of slavery. For all my prejudice of education, habits, social position stand entirely opposed to it. But as a Christian, I am compelled to submit my weak and erring intellect to the authority of the Almighty, for then only can I be safe in my conclusions. And I just, it's interesting how he finds that it's essential to put aside his education, to put aside his sympathy, put aside his compassion, put aside everything, his experiences, everything that is leading him to the conclusion this just isn't right. But because I've been told, and there's a few Bible verses that I've been handed that condone or justify slavery, this is the this is the only way I can really be safe. And mm-hmm. it just blows my mind to think that he came to that conclusion. But then I realized it shouldn't blow my mind because I did the same thing every day for many, many years, just mm-hmm. on different issues and in different ways and in different topics. But yeah. it's basically still the same thing. And so you know, did you ever deal much with that growing up where, you know, just this, this idea of trying, you know, let's, I want to talk about control a little bit and how, how religion oftentimes seeks control through fear, through shame, through guilt. I mean, are those some of the types of things that you have experienced or have helped other people who have experienced those things? Yes. Um, there's a lot there to unpack. So I'm going to go, I'm going to target in on the guilt and shame part. Um, I always guilt, ask like 20 questions. In that's a okay. So no, you're that's good. okay. That's a therapist. No, no. You know that, right? One question at a time. Um, Kevin so would honestly, be a terrible therapist. So. <laughs> Here's 50 questions. Let's start with these. That's right. And then you're sitting there going, oh my gosh, what did he say? Um, guilt versus shame. 
honestly, guilt can be healthy sometimes, right? If you yell at your partner and it makes you feel guilty and it makes you go and repair the thing, then guilt was a positive driving force in your repair of your relationship, right? So guilt is essentially, I'm a good person, but I did a bad thing. Okay. Shame is I'm a bad person Mm. and I did a bad thing and all I can do are bad things. Oh, right. Yeah. So shame is what we were indoctrinated with. No one is righteous. Uh, saved a wretch like me for such a worm as I, um, you are inherently nothing yeah. unless you are in the fold. Yeah. Right. So we, we, we are indoctrinated. I'm speaking personally um, that, that there is nothing good in me except for the fact that I wear this hat mm-hmm. and I when I grow church, up, I belong to and, this group. Yeah. And then I wonder why I, eat my feelings. And I wonder why I, uh, don't trust anything about myself. And I'm anxious all the time. It's because I fundamentally have no self-worth. And I feel like that is one of the two biggest traumas that religion does to people and, and has lasting, uh, lasting effects because people who don't believe they're worth anything. Why try? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like why get up and do the thing, the the productive thing? Why not just make a wreckage of your relationships? Uh, Why not just be an addict? Why not, you know, spend $200 on Amazon every day? Why not? Because I'm inherently bad. I'm inherently evil. And that's something that I absolutely threw out the window. Well, and I think rightfully so. And it's, it's so interesting that that I mean, just the delineation that you made between guilt and shame, you just blew my mind because I've never thought about it in those terms, but that's, that is exactly right. That is spot on. Mm -hmm. And that in, that's a huge way that the church tends to perpetuate religious trauma because the messaging is you are worthless. You are a, you know, you're a worm, you are nothing that's, you know, there's you, you're nothing without Jesus. You're nothing without us. And you're nothing without these doctrines. And if you don't observe these doctrines exactly right, even if this other church down the street has the same name on their sign, but you know, they're drinking, they're using more than one cup during the communion. So they're just a bunch of heathens. They're even more worthless than you are. At least you're in the right Right. church, you know? So, you know, there you go. I think part of what started my I don't want to use deconstruction because it's really, really a thing that everyone says now, but um, is the cognitive <laughs> We have to dissonance... say it 10 times on our show in order for it to be a podcast. <laughs> to, get, to, get, to get your ads or whatever. Yeah, no. we... um, the cognitive dissonance for me was if I'm so awful, then why is God living here? Yeah. Oh, that's huge. Right. And, that, and, and yeah. I was like, you know, like the short circuit in my brain. And I thought, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not so awful. And honestly, that was when I was able to get healthy. That was when I was able to repair some relationships. That was when I was able to really step into the life that I feel like I'm supposed to be living as a therapist, as a helper, as a content creator on social media, as a a healthy wife, right? Is maybe, maybe I'm not bad. Yeah. Maybe I'm not. And that, that question, that very statement in and of itself it's, there's a lot of power in that. There's a lot of power in that seed because that seed, if that seed is allowed to germinate, you realize that you are not a bad person. You are not a worthless individual. I that never you have, do have been. worth. You never have been exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and that that's huge. 
Um, what are some other ways we just briefly kind of touched on guilt and shame there, but that was so succinct and so straightforward. I, I, I mean, that's, like I said, I'm still like, mic wow. drop, man. She yeah. just mic drop that. Yeah, we can mic drop I, it right then. I, I was going to. The invoice comes later, right? Is that right? No. <laughs> well, I suppose send it to Kevin Pendergrass. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I was, I was just going to throw this in there too, because on the the flip side to that, and this is, this is speaking from my just personal experience, is that if you don't feel like a piece of garbage, you feel like everybody else is because you are the one who figured it out. And I have sometimes described, uh, I'm sure you guys have seen the Saul movie or, you know, you've probably seen the Saul movies or at least are familiar with Saul movies, but uh, you know, it's almost as if Christianity, the way that I understood it was like a Saul trap. I mean, in fact, God kind of like, like God makes Saul look, look pretty good. Right. I mean, it's like, cause, cause at least he just rips your eyes out and kills you. You know, this God is going to like burn you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. So, but it's this idea that, okay, I'm, I've, I've got all these humans in a game and some of them only live a few years. Some of them live many years, but they have to figure out the right answers. Are they going to be tormented forever? Mm-hmm wow really mm-hmm. but no this is a god of love and he loves you and he but you know when you when you when you think about it that way for the ones who have so-called figured out the right answers and in within this metaphor i did because hey i was grew up in the lord's church quote unquote i'm the one who did everything right i'm doing everything right i i have all the answers and i'm the one sharing them with everyone else that made me feel far, far superior to anybody else who would dare disagree with me. And so mm-hmm. it made it easier for me to look upon other people with disgust, mm-hmm. with hate even. Now, I would never actually mm-hmm. have said that before, but looking back, I hated the Baptist because sure. I thought they were t- sending people to hell through their message. And so mm-hmm. they needed to, you know, I saw, I saw them as so below me. Mm -hmm. simply because of what I had quote unquote figured out. And you just start looking at it and putting it in simple terms like this. And one of the best questions that someone ever, ever asked me to help me understand what kind of belief system I have and what kind of belief system I should have or want is what kind of God do your beliefs demand? (laughs) (laughs) and when when you know with me and even lee it's even i would say worse or more conservative or more strict whatever words or phrases you want to use but not only did you have to have all these other stuff figured out you could have everything figured out but if you're not putting your lips to the same container as the person next to you on sunday when you're drinking grape juice Mm -hmm. this god's going to send you to torment forever and ever and ever Mm mm-hmm and, yeah. you know, I, I, I just wanted to bring up that point because on the one hand, either you feel like garbage or on the other hand, you feel like everybody else is garbage because you're the one who's figured it out. And so it's not healthy either, either way you go. I mean, that's why in my first book, I call it a different kind of poison. And I loved your, your illustration. I wish I would have had that about three years ago. So I could have put it in there, but I love that how, you know, you've been drinking it the whole time saying, this is what's sustaining you. And then you quit drinking and realize, no, I'm still going. In fact, I, that was killing me is what it was mm-hmm. doing. Absolutely. Uh, I love that. That is just so powerful. With that, one of the, what, 
So I, in my therapy practice, I work with a lot of people who are healing from narcissist abuse, um, who have been married to, um, a narcissistic person. Um, and one of the things that I started to realize is that a lot of the tactics of a narcissist sounded really familiar to me. And here's what I mean. Um, things like when you're married to a narcissist, they say, just trust me. You, you don't need to worry about it. Just trust me. I will, I'll make sure it's fine. Okay. Don't, don't think about it too much. Don't ask me any questions. Just trust me. Do what, what do you not love me? What you don't trust me? Are you kidding? Right. And then, um, things like, um, you know, you, you thought you saw that, or you thought that, but that's really not what you saw. Mm. You can't, you can't trust your own understanding. Lean, lean not on your own understanding. My ways are not your ways. I, I started to be like, who, um, that feels familiar. Um, and I know why you stay. I know why you stay wow. in that, in that marriage. That's, that's powerful. Right. So my good yeah. friend, Tiffany Brooks just wrote a book called gaslighted by God. It's coming out in May Ooh, talks about just, like just this stuff. Um, about, and it's for people who don't, who aren't ready to give up on faith, but they are absolutely ready to give up on this stuff that we're talking about yeah. and they want someone yeah. to sit in it with them. This so I got an advanced this, reader copy. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. So yeah. I, need, I need to get her information from you again. I will. And I'm putting it out there in on public podcast. on the air. Yes. We want to reach She'd out be amazing. to her and have her on. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Well, and sure. that, that whole framework, you know, what we're discussing too, this isn't the minority framework of how people understand the Bible. I mean, I, I now have gotten to the point of just calling this the evangelical model. And I understand there's mm -hmm. a lot of evangelicals out there who despise this is just as much as we do. I understand that. But overall, generally speaking, you know, I'm putting those qualifiers out there. There is this framework and what you said. Wow. I, I mean, I was like, that makes so much sense because not only did I hear that growing up, I taught that and perpetuated <laughs> that growing up because same. I would, same I would have people same here. ask questions and they would say, you know, well, Kevin, why is this in the Bible? Well, you just haven't studied it enough. If you study it more, you'll come to the right conclusion. And then in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, God, why is that like, in the Bible? <laughs> like, why, why, why do we have supposed commands from God about killing innocent women and children? Like, uh, uh, well, that's Old Testament. So, you know, the churches of Christ, Nate Abbott and Bayou are about the only folks in the Old Testament we care about. But, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where what you said about the, the no critical thinking give up your critical thinking. You're not allowed to think because mm -mm. we're going to think for you or you're not mm -hmm. as spiritually minded. Do you study the Bible as much as I do? I didn't think so. So you don't need to be questioning things. You need to study mm -hmm. more. And, or mm -hmm. it's this one. Well, we don't have the answer for you yet, but it's coming or, you know, it's, it's kind of like out there. I, I remember one guy, he told me, he goes, well, I don't necessarily know how to answer that. But the more that we develop as humanity and, and especially in the Lord's church, we're going to find better answers to those questions. And it's, it's not, we don't have anything. It's just, well, we're probably going to. It's future promises, mm -hmm. just like you're talking about in an abusive mm -hmm. or narcissistic relationship. Well, this is going to happen. I may not have yeah. the answer for you today, right? But it's like, it's coming. So just hang on a little bit longer. We're going to get yeah. there. And it I'm flipping comes. burgers. I'm flipping burgers now, but baby, I'm going to get that gold. You know, I'm going to get that money. 
Another thing that I feel like, and I, I will be remiss if I don't talk about this, that's innate within the religion itself that I think leads to toxic patterns is religion equipped me to be an amazing codependent. Mm. And here's what I mean by that. Did you ever sing that song about you can't get to heaven by yourself? I, you, I it, don't it, know. I'd, I'd have to oh, hear it. It's, it's like, um, you know, uh, I don't know. I'm ready. It's probably from VBS or something a long time ago, but essentially, you know, if you go to heaven and your friends don't, then it's yeah, I know you. what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, um, I can remember specifically being told that if people that I came in contact with didn't know about Jesus, then I was going to heaven by myself. And wasn't that selfish? Right. So codependency is I can only be okay if everyone else around me is okay. Mm. It, it programmed me to be a codependent. See, I've heard the term codependency. I've even mm-hmm. used it, but I never really have understood what it meant until you just defined it. It really just means I can only be okay if everyone else in my life is okay. If I'm in a family and I'm the mom and one of my kids is, is upset, then I have to be upset. Uh, you know, and yeah. honestly, it, codependency and a lack of self-worth are the two things I think that religious trauma just brands into the core of a person. Everyone else's well-being is on me. Mm-hmm. And I am nothing without this, this lens that I use. I liked this that system. when you said, yeah. yeah. And you, you know, when you're talking about, you know, I'm a chiropractor, I'm a husband. I'm no, 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 no. You're a Christian chiropractor yeah. and a, yeah. and a yeah. Christian husband and a Christian jujitsu teacher, right? Yeah. Like it permeates all of the different areas of our life. And then when it doesn't, we're, we're like, we're extreme. That's why I said disoriented is the, the biggest word that I could use for the last two years of my life. Um, it's like, a honestly, theory. yeah, it is. Yeah. It's like, if I'm not a Christian, this, if I'm not, a, if I'm looking through this lens, this, what, what even do I have to stand on? And I found out that I still have some pretty amazing things to stand on. Yeah. Well, and, and I really, really appreciate you bringing it back around to that crystal, because whenever we begin to question or we begin to ask questions that undermine the status quo for whatever religious community we find ourselves in. You know, I experienced that as I began and, and instead of deconstruction, I've, I've taken to use the term spiritual detoxification. And <laughs> I like that. I went, yeah, I, I do too, because it seems like everyone and their dogs deconstructing now, but, and, and maybe that's a good thing. Who knows? But I digress. Anyway, whenever I started that spiritual detox, <laughs> that detoxification process, it, Within the one cup group, I wasn't ever the most well-known person. I wasn't ever the most well-regarded person, but in our particular circle, I mean, people knew who I was, you know, Mm -hmm. and whenever you have, I don't want to use the word celebrity because that's way too strong of a word for what it was, but whenever you're well-known and well-regarded by a lot of people, you begin, that's when that codependency tends to flare up because you're like, Mm -hmm. well, now I'm asking these questions that this system, this paradigm cannot Mm -hmm. answer. I'm looking Mm -hmm. at it through this lens and the answers that I'm getting don't make any sense anymore at Mm -hmm. all. And I don't know what to do with all of this. So maybe the answers are outside of my group. And whenever you begin to do (laughs) that, it begins to, it it gets scary because now you're worried about what these people are going to think. What are these people going to think about me? What are these people going to think about our congregation that we, Mm -hmm. that we go to, you know, where, you know, what's going to happen now, whenever the peanut gallery comes out with their pitchforks and their torches and they start chasing you down, like Frankenstein's monster, 
you know, because you dared to ask the wrong question, or maybe you dare to ask the question, but you didn't give the answer that goes along with the status quo. Right. And whenever that begins to happen, that threatens that identity. I'm a Christian mm-hmm. chiropractor. I'm a Christian jujitsu coach. I'm a Christian father, mm-hmm. husband, et cetera, sure. et cetera, et cetera. Well, now, because within that, that circle, that tight knit circle that you're a part of within that community, Kevin, like what you were talking about, because you're beginning to ask these questions and give these answers in, in a different way or these answers that go outside of that. Well, now your identity's threatened mm-hmm. and, and everything starts to unravel. Everything starts to unwind. And it just, Sometimes it just, your income is threatened. Sometimes yeah. every relationship in your life is threatened. Yeah. I can be broke and have no family, or I can stop asking questions. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Especially if you're a minister. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I've I heard the quote. I never trust anyone uh, anyone's opinion when they get paid to hold it. And you know, it's <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's it, it, that's one reason among many why I'm not a fan of employed ministry because it doesn't allow any room for growth. Um, when you're getting paid to teach a certain belief and you change that belief, you just you just studied yourself out of a job, out of a mm-hmm. position um, because people aren't going to change with you. I, I mean, that's and if they do, then they're not really probably thinking for themselves anyway. At least if they change immediately, because they're just once again, it's this toxic system of. of following someone and, and, and not really just creating that codependency you're talking about, not really having your own faith or your own belief system. And I want to circle back to something you said that really resonated with me a moment ago about how you have to bring other people with you to heaven. And my wife, Bethany, she grew up very similar to, to all of us in the, in very conservative legalistic style environment And she told me that she used to cry herself to sleep at night when she was in middle school and early high school years because she believed all of her friends were going to hell. And she said it just broke her heart to think about that. And she heard Mm -hmm. these sermons that constantly reaffirmed she was right, but all of her friends were wrong. And then it got to the point where, well, you're wrong if you're not converting uh, people. If you're not, you know, it's not just you're going to be alone in heaven. It's well, now you're probably not going to be there if you're you may not, not go. Yeah, because yeah. like and, and it's like, well, you can't force them to convert. But are you doing everything in your power, whatever that means, by the way? You know, it's mm-hmm. like, are you really trying hard to convert them? And and then once again, you have that shame placed upon you that you're talking about where I'm a bad person if I'm not inviting a lot of people to have Bible studies or coming to youth events or Wednesday night group study or whatever it might be. And I just thought about that when you were talking about bringing people with you because it just extends. I mean, it's, it's just this, the roots are so deep because it's in everything. I mean, this isn't just something you can just cut off and say, okay, let's move on. I mean, this is something that, you know, Lee and I, this podcast for us is is so helpful just in being able to talk about this type of stuff every week because we're, we're, we're able to find we're not the only ones who've had these questions because we weren't mm-hmm. supposed to have questions. We were supposed to have the answers. We weren't supposed to sure. have questions. And, you know, now I have so many questions, a lot more questions than I have answers. Yeah. And, and it's, but it's okay. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's where it's, it's fine. Like we, we have to be okay with that. And some of those questions started with the Bible itself. Mm-hmm. And that does lead a lot of people sometimes 
to either a different system, a different way of understanding the Bible, which is where it's mm -hmm. led me and Lee. And then other people, you know, it's led them completely out of Christianity whatsoever, even mm -hmm. into a different religion that's much more freeing or open. And, you know, I, I just think about the misogynistic teachings in the Bible, not just the Old Testament, the New Testament, the slave passages, not just in the Old Testament, also the New Testament. Because I was taught all that stuff's in the Old Testament, which still didn't really answer <laughs> it because it's like, well, why is it there to begin with? If this is all from God, like, why is it there? You know, what, what's going on? But that was one way of dealing with it was let's confine it to the Old Testament. But then you start seeing it in the New Testament. And I, I had this conversation with a friend of mine. I said, look, you do not believe in the type of subordination of husband and wife, and thank God he didn't. But I said, you don't believe in the type of subordination the New Testament teaches. And I took him to First Peter. I said, Peter says that the type of subordination that a wife is to have is to the point of calling her her uh, husband Lord, which signified master. And I said, so when was the last time your wife called you Lord? <laughs> and he's like, well, but I still believe in a type of subordination. I said, no, 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 no. I said, that's a modernist understanding of the Bible. I said, you cannot say we follow the Bible in a literal, straightforward, invariably definitive way and then say, but we're not going to take the type of subordination presented in the New Testament. And it was just those types of things that started popping up left and right. And I saw our own consistency, mm -hmm. how we would take the Bible when mm -hmm. it would benefit us, you know, when, it, when it made us feel good. We would take it, but then when it was something that, well, this really doesn't fit our culture, so, okay, hmm, Bible says if you have somebody sick, you need to call, and by the way, that's an imperative, it's a command in the Bible, you need to call the elders so they can anoint them with oil, well, we don't mm -hmm. do that, so that has mm -hmm. to be cultural, because we do what we're right. supposed to be doing, you know, and right. it's just all of those types of questions. So it's, it can be from abuse. It can be from inconsistency when you start studying, going back to that lack of critical thinking, or mm -hmm. when you start asking questions. And people keep saying, well, if you study it enough, that future promise, you're going to find mm -hmm. the answer. And the more the, the more you dig, the more problems you find, the more questions you have, not the more answers you have. Right. One thing that you talked about when you talked about your wife's story about like, oh, my gosh, I'm not bringing enough people. And I'm yeah. another thing that I think religion and that, that especially how we were grown, grown up, we were raised programs us to not be able to rest. Mm, yeah, that's another thing I see in adults who have anxiety based on religious trauma is if you are resting, someone else may be in a car I can die and go to hell and it's all on you. Yeah, right. Like, so Dude, you're just hitting every angle. This is like, yes. Wow. Yeah. I've never right. thought of that before, but you are so, so right. So I'm 44 in the last, I would say two years, two and a half years. I have completely um, like decided to step away from faith systems completely. I have, I have learned about rest and I have allowed it and I have welcomed it and even fun. Yeah. If you're, if you're having fun, you're not, you're not doing enough work. You're not doing enough. It's right? so funny. You say that because our most recent episode at the time of this recording that went live was about a, a little over an hour conversation between Kevin and I, or should, can Christians have fun? And it's <laughs> answering that question, exactly what you're talking about. So it's making us both sticker a little bit. Anyway, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Please continue. No, you're fine. So, uh, you know, when you are just held, your feet are held to that flame, you know, what else can you be doing right now? Then, and you grow up and you have anxiety as an adult, or yeah. you have to, you can't watch a movie without also folding clothes at the same time or something like you have to be doing productivity equals worth. Yeah. No, it doesn't. 
Well, right. and, and even then it can manifest in other ways other than just witnessing the others or sharing your faith with others and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. working as hard as you can to convert somebody else. Are mm-hmm. you praying enough? I mean, are you leading a small group? Are you yeah. uh, bringing food to the homeless? Are you, when was the are last, you, yeah. When was the last time yeah. you had a Bible study with somebody? When was yeah. the last time you invited somebody to study or go to church? Yeah. Like you're talking about Lee. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's yeah. everywhere, everywhere. Mm-hmm. So with and that all was such a strong point. Well, with all of these manifestations of, or, or I guess, sources that we discuss of religious trauma, I'd like to circle, you know, kind of bring it back to the center and, and summarize if we can. So we have the idea of worthlessness and just innate, an innate lack of value within somebody that's intrinsic to our nature that is perpetuated by many, many different denominations and religious groups. There is also the codependency that exists. Everyone else has to be in. Otherwise, I'm not doing my job. Uh, What are some other sources or I I guess I should say, yeah, sources of religious trauma, but also how uh, what are some other ways that that manifests in people? Because we've talked some about depression. We've Mm -hmm. talked some about anxiety. Mm -hmm. What are some other seeds that can grow in that garden of of trauma? And what's the fruit that that seed bears? Sure. So like we talked about a little bit ago about shame, um, when you feel innately evil, wicked, shameful, bad, wrong, yeah, right. Then, you know, we want to do things to numb that because feeling that way all the time is exhausting. Yes. Some people numb with Netflix. Some people numb with Amazon. Some people numb with Taco Bell. Some people numb with, uh, you know, some people numb with church work. Right. Ooh. Yeah. Because if I'm too busy, I don't have time to feel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think that, yeah, boiling it down, codependency, lack of self-worth and just the fruits of shame. Um, if I am bad and I don't even love myself, I'm not going to let other people love me. I'm not going to show up in my marriage. I'm not going to show up for my kids. I'm going to keep an arm's length between me and them because why would I want them to get close to me? Cause I'm, I'm bad. I'm shameful. Yeah. Right. So those, those I think are the big three. Wow. Well, and it's so amazing that such something that's, it can be such a big deal and something that so many people have experienced can just be boiled down to those things. Mm-hmm. It, it's really wild. Whenever you think about it, that you can boil it down and condense it down to those things as a root cause. Now I know for yourself, Crystal, you had just mentioned that you have stepped away from faith entirely and that you found rest in that, that you have found a greater degree of peace there, that you have found a healthier degree of productivity. What are some other strategies that you personally have utilized and what do you advise your clients or patients? What, what term do you prefer client or patient? Um, client. Yeah. Client. That's okay. fine. Mm-hmm. So what kind of resources or, and maybe we'll save the resources for the end. We'll just kind of vomit all them out. Now I'll, I'll be mm-hmm. sure that you email me a list of what those are with links sure. so that we can include those in our show notes so people can find you so that people can find those resources. Mm-hmm. But what are some strategies that you have also used that you have found help with personally, but what do you also advise your, your clients to do to help them begin the journey 
of, of healing that, that trauma that they've experienced through the pangs of religion? Really the same that I would when coming out of a bad marriage, um, any, any system that they feel has hurt them or person they feel has hurt them. I always start with, what do you know for sure? What do you know for sure? Some people, the list is very short. I know my name is Crystal. I know that I have a husband and five kids. I, you know, but building what you know for sure. Um, if, if I don't know if God exists, when we don't know that for sure, we're not going to put that on the list. Yeah. Right. I know that I like winter over summer. Okay, great. Let's put that on the list. It sounds so uh, elementary, but when your world has been rocked, and you are disoriented beyond belief and you, the lens has been removed from your filter on life. We just have to put our feet on what we know for sure. I know for sure. I'm a good mom. I know for sure that I don't like country music. I know for sure. <laughs> Amen. You know I mean? yeah. Let's <laughs> all stand and sing. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, like it, it sounds, but, but the more that we can know for sure and that we can rest in and start to put, um, some confidence in, we can add to the list as we go. Therapy, 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 find somebody who, I mean, personally, I feel like operating as a Christian therapist is unethical. Um, so find someone who maybe doesn't have a faith agenda, because here's the thing. If you're in a toxic system and you go to somebody who's giving therapy through that, they're not going to give you accurate therapy right? It's, yeah. it's like going to a drug dealer because you don't feel good, right? So, <laughs> um, you know, I think that, that churches can help their members heal. Talk about mental health, just like physical health. If Betty Jo has a prayer request about her heart surgery and Mark has a prayer request because he's struggling with finding the right meds for his depression, let's put them both on the prayer list. Yeah. And let's support both of them equally. The same. Take yeah. Mark dinner. Take Mark dinner and also take Betty Jo dinner, right? If Julie is grieving because her family rejected her because of her sexuality and Trevor is struggling because he broke his leg, let's do a meal train. Like, like the same acts of love yeah. for no matter what, what they show up with, right? Yes. And, and if you come at them, do so without judgment or agenda. Yeah. Just love. And that in and of itself within so many faith groups and then so many churches, mm-hmm. it's a near impossibility for many of them yeah. it is an impossibility because there's always the love of God tends to come with strings attached. The sure. love of Jesus is, is highly conditional in a lot of places, mm-hmm. even though that's not what, at least from my reading, that's not what I see reflected in scripture. That's not right. what I find enumerated you know, there's, there's uh, the conditions of God's love are outlined in first Corinthians 13. He tells us what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is something that seeks the best good for someone else, regardless of what their struggles are. Mm-hmm. You know, love does not envy. It is not boastful. It does not rejoice in, in, in wrong. It doesn't mm-hmm. rejoice in those things. And whenever we 
just like you said, if, if brother Mark over here struggling with depression and he's having a hard time finding his depression mess, that's why he hasn't been to services. Well, let's go see him. Let's go see how he's doing. Let's go visit with him. Let's bring him some food. Hey brother, I know it's your grass is tall. Do you mind if I cut it for you? Let's do what we can to help them and show that love that we are called to show to others. The whole of it can be summed up in loving God and loving neighbor is yourself. So let's Mm -hmm. do what that is. No, I think Mm -hmm. that's beautiful. Kevin, do you have something you want to add? Yeah, I just going along with what what you both have already said, you said write down what you know for sure. And I've never heard it put that way. And I wish I would have known that when I started my change, my conversion process out of my legalistic understanding of Christianity and God into what I now call a grace-centered understanding and a compassionate understanding, because I didn't know who I was. And there was just so much... At thought, I thought anyway at stake that I had to figure everything out because I started preaching when I was 17. I went to school to be a preacher. I had that's all I'd ever done. That was my livelihood. That's how I made money. I didn't, I didn't know really how to do anything else. I mean, I did, but I didn't think I did because that's all I had ever done my whole life. And just being able to write down those concrete things of let's start at the very basic. You know, let's let's just at the very bottom. What do we know? What do we know? What do you really know? And so much of Christianity, and not just Christianity, religion in general, is theoretical anyway. And that can be seen by how often we change. I always joke and say, "Well, if you don't agree with what I have to say this week, listen next week, and it'll probably be different." Because I, <laughs> and I'm cool with that now, because I understand God in the Bible so differently. I understand the Bible to be. Uh, is still inspired, but the way I understand inspiration is very different than the way I once understood it. I, I now see it as a book that has an ancient worldview, and we have to take that into consideration when we're reading and studying it before we're making all of this direct application, which I don't think there should be the way that we've done so. And there, there's just so many things that are in the theoretical that it can just feel like you're here, there, and everywhere because, well, what can I hold on to? And what we tend to hold on to just as humans, at least, no pun intended, this has been my experience, is experience. We know what is true because of what we've Mm -hmm. experienced. And that's, we also can know what's not true based upon experience. And someone asked me, why did you leave everything you had behind? You know, I was, I was at that time, the director of the Gospel of Christ program. I was making more money still then that I am today, even though I'm owning my own business, there were times I would get paid $1,500 to speak one Sunday night at a church. I mean, it was insane, stupid amounts of money for what I was doing. Um, But of course, I mean, hey, what does it profit if somebody gains a whole world, loses their own soul? So isn't my preaching that has the truth worth it? I mean, hey, uh, can you put a price on me saving people, bringing them the saving message? But, you know, when you and by the way, all that was done in the, with the best of intentions, too. I thought I was doing the right thing, but it goes back to your experience. And I tell people the reason why is because Jesus himself taught that we're to use experience. And he, he did this by saying that a tree is known by its fruit. That's that's something that you experience. That's experiential. It's something that you can look at. Fruit is something you grab, you see, you taste, you smell, you use all your senses And you can know if it's good or bad. And based upon that, you look at the tree and say, well, no, that tree's not good because I've tasted the fruit. I've smelled the fruit. I've felt the fruit. I've seen the fruit. And it just, no, it doesn't work. 
And when I look at the kind of crap that I was taught to believe, and once again, I'm not doubting the people who taught me. I think that they were just as sincere as I was when I was teaching it. But it's garbage. And when you go and when you taste it, when you pick it off the tree, when you eat it, when you get right up there with it, you start saying, this is not good fruit. These people live chaotic lives. They act like they've got it together, but deep down, we know they don't. And they have just as many problems as anybody else does, if not more mm-hmm. so. And in, most of the time, it's more so these mm-hmm. self-induced problems because of their belief system. It's bad fruit. So when I mm-hmm. look at someone who is showing love and compassion and they have calmness and peace in their life, mm-hmm. how in the world can I say that that's bad? That, oh, tastes, that tastes good. And yeah. I'm going to go and call that a good tree. Well, wait a minute. What if they don't believe? What if they don't go to the same church I go to? It's good fruit. Mm-hmm. It's a good Mm -hmm. tree. What if they don't have the same religion I have? We talked about this, the good Samaritan. Mm -hmm. It's good. It's a good tree. It's bearing good fruit. What if they don't believe in God like I do? What if it's good? It's good. It's good fruit. It's a good tree. Now Mm -hmm. I have to somehow put that as, as priority over anything theoretical that I've been taught because I have experienced that. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, I think even Jesus himself taught, ultimately, here's how you know what, if something's right or wrong. Not if you can right. quote it, not if you have an interpretation, not if people are patting you on the back because you're saying it, is mm-hmm. it bearing good fruit? And if it's not, yeah. cut it off, get out of there. You don't want to be a part right. of it. Well, it's this whole thing of, you know, I, I'm treating them this way and I want them to change because I love them. Yeah. Well, do they feel loved? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, exactly. Not, is it love, right? Like you're, 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 you know, the whole, the whole tough love notion. I don't think, I don't think, uh, bleeds into this. So they don't feel loved. You're not loving them. Yeah. Maybe jujitsu it does, but not here <laughs> at all. No, you no, know? no, 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 yeah. no, not here. Yeah. Tough love definitely works in jujitsu, but in this right. sense, not at all. No. And I, I think that's so right though. I, I think that that's absolutely true because you know, a tree by its fruit, Kevin, just like you enumerated, And I know for me, that's where that cognitive dissonance came in. And I think that that, I think that's where this begins to unravel a lot of people and it can begin to become traumatic or shed light on the trauma that they've experienced is because Mm -hmm. their experience isn't aligning with what, with the message that's being declared. The message being declared is a God of unconditional love. And the second commandment, the great commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself well, if you don't even love yourself because you think you're so worthless, because that's what you're being told over and over and over again, how can you love your neighbor as yourself? How can you be equipped to do that? But at the same time, how can you expect to function within a system whenever the message of that system is not aligning with your experience at all? It's it, it just, well, also it loving your neighbor as yourself. If you don't love yourself, you also get out of loving your neighbor. Oh, there you go. Hey, we found a loophole. Kevin, right? Like you don't now. have to, I don't have to love someone. I don't have to love someone different than me if I truly don't love me. So, wow. Yeah. Well, I think Man. we could, we could keep going. You're just Crystal. dropping it everywhere. I'm, Crystal. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Lee, Lee, Lee said, he's like, man, you're going to love I'm Crystal. And I do. Yeah. This is fantastic. Yeah. We, we definitely would like to reach out to you and have you back on. I mean, I know we've covered the vast majority of what we wanted to cover tonight and I, I, I can keep this conversation going forever. We had a conversation when we were talking about the change that we had on our opinion and doctrine on, you know, women serving as preachers and pastors, because sure. within the churches of Christ, women don't preach, you know, you're good for making babies and staying in the kitchen. And that's about it. 
And well, I was uh, told once that um, I, I, from the pulpit, I heard someone say, I just love um, the fact that all you women are here because it just make the music sound so much better. Uh, yeah. Oof. So oh. look pretty and sing I mean, pretty. <laughs> look, look pretty, sing pretty, make pretty babies and make pretty casseroles. That's all we can That's hope right. for. That's right. Uh, yeah, we had Dr. Linda King on a while back. She is a shepherd, an elder at a uh, Church of Christ in Edmond, Oklahoma, and she's a bona fide biblical scholar. She's an attorney. She's an expert in biblical Hebrew and Greek. She's just, she's a genius. She's like, oh girl, yeah, she's awesome. And we talked to her for yeah, almost. She's in her seventies too. She is awesome. Yeah, we talked to her for almost four hours, and I feel like that we could keep this going with you and have a great conversation, but I know you have a life to get back to, and I know Kevin and I have other things we need to do, so I'm going to go ahead and well, and just basically say, let's go ahead and start winding this up. Uh, Kevin, bet. what else do you want to add to this? Yeah, part? and I guess this is kind of part of what you have in the concluding question as well, but if someone is listening to this and they can relate, which I'm sure is going to be a lot of people who listen to our podcast are going to say yes, 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 yes. And, and yes. Um, I, I think the first fear for some people is okay. Crystal said she no longer has a faith system anymore. So does that mean that if I go this direction, is it going to lead me to where I no longer have a faith system? And that in and of itself scares a whole lot of people because they, sure. You know, and this, and by the way, this is something that scared me for a long time. And I have been able to make it work in my mind um, because the, what I never want to be is intellectually dishonest. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. in order to be able to keep faith and people don't like when I say this, but in order to keep faith and be intellectually honest, there's a lot of times I simply have to say, I don't know. I mm -hmm. just choose. I just, I do just choose to believe anyway. Mm -hmm. but not to the point where it's ever going to allow ever. I will never, ever, ever mistreat someone because of my religious beliefs. Now I didn't say I'm never mm -hmm. going to mistreat people because I probably will. There will be times I do things I regret still. I don't want to, but there's still going to be times I, you know, I'm not perfect, but it's never going to be justified in the name of God or in the name of Jesus. I, I I'm always mm -hmm. going to allow compassion and mercy to reign mm -hmm. in my decision-making because it mm -hmm. goes back to that experience. But I say all that to say, what would you say to someone? First of all, they're listening to this and they're saying, mm -hmm. Oh man, well, if I keep going down this, this, this line of questioning and really just being honest, does this mean that I can no longer have faith anymore? Or is there a way to still have a faith mm -hmm. And I'm not talking even about Christianity because we have people who listen sure. to podcasts who aren't who aren't necessarily just Christians, but from other religions. So if they go, well, I still want to be able to keep faith, but can I do so in a way that is mm -hmm. not going to be to the detriment of my well-being as a as a human right. mom here on earth? What would your response be to that? Well, I would say that I don't know that's me, that that's not me, that that one day I don't go back to some kind of faith system. I don't know that. I can't see the future. Um, I know part of my limitation is where I live. I live in a town of 900 people south of a metropolitan area, right? So if I don't want to drive 45 minutes to an hour to experience some other faith communities, I just don't go, <laughs> right? So I, I don't know that, that I don't somehow, somewhere eventually be able to be okay with and feel good about being a part of a faith community. 
I, I have not written that off. That's why I said, I said, sometimes I call myself a hopeful agnostic because it's like, I don't know. I know it's not that I yeah. know. Like it's, it's what do yeah. I know for sure? I know it's not that. So until I figure out more of what it is, this yeah. is where I'm at right now. You know, for sure what you don't believe. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And that's a good starting point. That's for a great a starting point. Yeah. That's where you almost have to start. That's where I started. Yeah. So I think partially too, I have to be able to put all of the anger that I have somewhere. Yeah. And until I can reconcile that with, I did the best I could with what I knew at the time type type um, logic. Um, I'm still, I'm still weeding through that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, and you know, I, I just want to, first of all, say I empathize for sure with, with where you're coming from, because there are so many people that, which is why I lean more towards being a Christian universalist. I think there's of course a theological basis for it, but even more so than that, a feel philosophical basis, because, I, I can't imagine someone going through the experiences that, that you've gone through and even experiences people who are listening to this have gone through. And some of those experiences um, that I have heard of, of people even being molested uh, by their pastor or preacher when they were young to then turn around and say, yeah, but you still got to just go to church because of the association yes. of what they, and then saying, well, that's their own fault for not being able to get over it. It's, it's, it just, sure. it blows my mind because you know, there are so many questions that I have that, uh, that I can't answer. Uh, I have no idea. And one of those to this day that I struggle with, I struggle, struggle, struggle with this as a Christian, especially the more I study the, the Bible. And even with my understanding of scripture now, which I think is a whole lot better of my former understanding is still, why did God do it this way? Mm-hmm. Um, knowing that there would just be so much confusion I mean, there's 45,000 Christian denominations right now, 45,000. And, and that's Christian denominations, right? We're not talking about religions. That's for, and, and everybody thinks that they're the ones who figured it out. And, and when you look at the hurt that it's caused, you know, for, used to my argument was, well, take God, t- take Christianity out of the world. And what does the world look like? Well, we know what it looks like with Christianity and it's not too pretty a lot of the times. So, right. I mean, we, we, right. we already know what it looks like and that's not to take away a lot of good I mean, goodness, look at Mother Teresa, right? I mean, a lot of good, hat, which we used to believe she was going to hell, right? But I mean, a lot of good has been done in the name of, of Christianity and the Bible and those types of things. Mm-hmm. But I hope people listening to this realize it's okay. It's okay to, to have any question you want to have. And if you end up not landing where I would want you to land or Lee would want you to land or where we're landing right now, because mm-hmm. who knows where right. we're going to eventually land, but it's, it, that's okay. And right. that, that, if, if you're around people where that's not okay, then you need to find people where that is okay. And right. to, to have that love, to have that acceptance of, hey, that's, I, you know what? I understand. I, I may, or I may not understand, but I understand your decision and that's okay. I think too, being a therapist, and if I have new clients every week that come to me and they're like, well, I feel this way. And yeah, I, was, I was raised in church and I'm not supposed to feel this. I get mad. I get pissed off every week. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Yeah. For that person. Yeah. <laughs> so as I said, feel it all over that, again. I know. Yeah. The anger that I'm dealing with is sometimes secondhand. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it will. And it's like, I know I shouldn't feel this way. And you're sitting there thinking, why not? <laughs> you like, absolutely why should. In the world should. You absolutely <laughs> yeah. should feel that way. 
Well, yeah. Crystal, this has been a treat. This has been such a fun conversation and we would Thank definitely you. love to have you back on. And once we, sure. once we stop recording, I definitely need to get your, uh, your friend's contact information so I can reach out to her. I had it and I lost it. I'm ashamed. That's okay. I'll I'm absolutely do that. What is her name again? Tiffany Brooks, PhD. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say for me, as far as my approach and everything to the world, my community on, on TikTok and on Facebook is called mended living. I feel like we are all mending from something, whether yeah. it's addiction, divorce, religious trauma, uh, mental illness, whatever it is. Right. So, um, that you can follow me on most social media. If you can find mended living, um, I'm almost ahead of hundred thousand followers on TikTok. I'm pretty excited about that. So Dude, that is awesome. That's legit. Yeah. Um, what about so, your website, your, uh, your, yes. your therapy, your program? I know you, you just gave yes. us your socials. Where else can people find you and your work on the internet? Um, my website is mendedkc.com. Um, like mended and then Kansas city, kc.com. Um, you can find information on how to work with me counseling wise, life coaching wise. Like I said, I do coaching worldwide, just like you know, zoom, a zoom call. Um, and coaching can be really life-changing as well. So yeah, I'd love to, love to, uh, help out however I can. Well, thank you. You're giving, you're giving us a discount for this one, right? (laughs) Oh yes. Severe, severe discount. That's fantastic. You're my pro bono case. for (laughs) Well, it's, it's definitely a deep well. We're going to have to dive in to get to the root of all of these issues. Kevin and I have, but Crystal, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to come on our show. Yeah, we you. hope to have you back on in the future to talk yeah. about something else, another topic. You'll be our, our go-to mental health expert that we'll reach out to. Oh, thanks Thank so much. From the bottom of our hearts. We really appreciate it. And uh, Thank to you our- guys. To our listeners, we want to say thank you to you guys as well. We never want to close out our podcast without extending our gracious and heartfelt thanks to all of you. We love all of you. We appreciate all of you. Without this podcast, or without you guys, we wouldn't have a podcast. I mean, this podcast would not exist without our audience. And it's growing every week. And we appreciate you guys. Uh, Share this podcast far and wide. Share it with your friends. Share it with your neighbors. Share it with your loved ones. Share it with your enemies. Maybe it'll help them too, and you can make a new friend. Give us that five-star review on iTunes. As always, we really appreciate that. That helps us with our visibility. If you have any questions, concerns, comments, whatever the case may be, holler at Kevin and I. Our email is always in the show notes. We love hearing from you guys. That's how we get our ideas for what we're going to talk about. So thank you all so much, and we will see you all soon.